0: All right, guys, how's everybody doing? That's been a spirit-filled service already, hasn't it? I love seeing those kids. Uh, love seeing the excitement um, about them. Uh, if you've been coming the last several weeks, we've been in a series called Generation uh, Now, really leading up to VBS and graduation Sunday last week, uh, where I preached a message called Wisdom for a Generation. And uh, this week, we're a, a bit in between series. I thought it would be interesting uh, so the theme of this year's VBS is uh, an, uh, going on an adventure to discover and find the one true God. That's what the kids are going to be doing every day, understanding the nature and the attributes of the one true God. And so I thought, hey, let's do that. Maybe, maybe we'll just do that on Sunday morning leading into it. And, uh, and I was praying about what scripture to use as, as I was going to talk about this and um and it god just took me to acts chapter 17 which is where we're going to be today acts chapter 17 verses 16 through the end of that chapter is verse 34 Um, and then i looked at the vbs and this scripture is the first day lesson is this scripture so god had this planned out had it sorted out so this is where we're going to be uh today and um and, and it's interesting uh, to see that in this situation, we're going to find Paul's who we're going to talk about today. And, and he preaches a sermon here in this passage of scripture that is just one of my favorite sermons. And uh, so we're going to look at it. Again, it's Acts chapter 17, uh, verses 16 through 34. Uh, and this is Paul. He's been a, a missionary. He's on a mission at this point, And he ends up, this thing is like weird a little bit. Y'all feel a little weird about this? How weird would it, how much trouble is it to move it? Can I move it? Y'all care? Impromptu? Okay. Oh, he called me professor because I got glasses on. Yeah. So I got, uh, I was in the pool yesterday, and uh, I got kicked in the eye. That's fun with kids, all right? And so uh, it was a, I mean, I thought I was never going to see you again, honestly, for a split second. And it was my daughter, and, uh, you know, she cared for 10 seconds, and then was on to the The next thing, but I thought, I'm wearing my glasses today. Because my contact came out, I don't know where it is, um, but I'm good. I got my glasses on. Are y'all ready for Jared with glasses? The world was not ready for this. Um, So he was in Athens, and he gets to this town. He's never been there before, and he walks through the town. I want to read just this first verse uh, before we get into all of it. And it says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his other partners and missions uh, while he was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And uh, so this Greek word here um, of great, that, that was translated greatly distressed uh, really meant like this an emotional upheaval. Like he was really like so emotional and upset, probably like a combination of anger and grief. And you might say, well, what was he so upset about? What did he see? I want to tell you just that this is not a history lesson, but I want to talk a little bit about Athens. Uh, and this is the real Athens in Greece. Um, this, this, this town had formerly been a political and economic superpower, but just to give you a, a framework of time and history, Socrates, Plato, all those people had already been and existed. And, and, and Athens had become like the center of intellectual debate And, uh, like, all the smart people live there. That's why I wore my glasses. See, I planned that out. Not really. But all the smart people live there. Like, they were debating the meaning of life. And I don't know, you know, I had a philosophy class in college, and we we studied Plato, and we read all, you know, all their debates about happiness and life and the purpose and all this kind of stuff. Well, this is what was happening all the time in this uh, this town. Um, And so... They, uh, they, as Paul walked through, here's some things that he might uh, have seen. Uh, a, the temple of uh, Demeter, uh, statues of a goddess and her daughters, statue of Poseidon, uh, healing Athena, Zeus, Apollo, Hermes next to the sanctuary of Dionysus. While waiting, he could have visited the royal colonnade, uh, uh, the Metroum, which is the sanctuary of the mother of the gods with her image, uh, then an altar of mercy, a gymnasium gymnasium of Ptolemy. There was a stone statue of Hermes and a bronze statue of Ptolemy. Where Paul turned, he saw statues. I mean, just of all these, uh, of gods and of altars to all kinds of different things and people. It says, wherever the apostle looked, in niches and on pedestals, in temples and on street corners, were gods, And demigods, busts of Hermes were on every corner, and statues and altars were in the courtyard of every home. And I began to think about uh, what if Paul came and walked through Pikeville? And this is where my thought process took me to. As Paul has walked, he walked through Athens, and it says he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now there, it was very clear and obvious who the idols were and who the gods were. We're going to find out that he did. He walked through the town in his sermon, and he tells them he found one. He found this one altar uh, that they had labeled to the unknown god they were so scared that they might miss a god that they made an altar to one that they didn't even know that there might be one that exists that they didn't even know about and paul in his sermon he says that this is the one i'm here to talk to you about. let me tell you about this one you don't know and i thought about what idols are in our life and you know i'm gonna take this layoff y'all okay about to get real, instead of my jacket off. Remember preachers take the jacket off? because you know, Take my lay off. Um, let me read you a couple things about idols, and I want to read a scripture from Ezekiel, and then we'll get into this. Idols are anything that present a challenge to God's sovereignty or to which you turn to answers of meaning, fulfillment, and purpose instead of God. It's time to identify idols that may be present in your life and get rid of them. Here's what I want to tell you this morning is I don't want you to spend this morning saying, do I have idols in my life? The fact is we all have idols in our life. What I want you to do with me this morning is think about what are the things that that are uh, distracting you from the the ever-living God of creation? What are the things that are capturing your affection and your passion away from Him? What are the things that consume you instead of you being consumed for Him? Tim Keller said this, He said, An idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, and anything that you seek to give you what only God Can give. Let's read this verse in Ezekiel because I think it helps us to see that an idol does not have to be a statue. It doesn't have to have an altar. But it said this Son of Man, this is God speaking through Ezekiel, these men have set up idols in their where? In their hearts. And put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I let them inquire of me at all? See, the elders and the leadership of Israel had come to Ezekiel, who was a prophet. And, and, and they, were, they were living out some supernatural or, or some superficial uh, recognition of God. Was They were going to the temple. They were doing all the things. Yet they hadn't given God their whole heart. But when they needed help, they went to the prophets, Ezekiel, and said, hey, we need some advice, and we need you to talk to God and see what we need to do. And this is what God said. He said, they have set up idols in their hearts. This morning, what I want to talk to you about is your heart and my heart. And said, what does this mean? What are the idols? What are the temptations? What are the things that Satan is tempting me with that are distracting me from what God has for me, we're going to look at this, this scripture under three headings. Uh, you can jot this down if you want. Just help me think of it this way. This verse 16 through 34, we're going to look at Paul's distress, which we've kind of already done. His distress. He gets into this town, and he is in emotional upheaval, an uproar. He's upset about it. Uh, the second, we're going to kind of look at his response, so we're calling it Paul's address. This is his sermon to this group. And then at the third thing, we're going to look at God's progress in the last few verses. Let's read a little more of what was happening through this first section of Paul's distress. We find he's emotionally distressed. It says, so he reasoned. You see, his distress, his upsetness led him to some positive action. It led him to do something. He didn't just get mad about it and and wallow about it and and post on Facebook about it and complain about it. It led him to some positive action. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. It was so simple. In this complicated world and all this intellectual debate happening, this message that Paul had was so simple. It was good news about Jesus and the resurrection. The Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers, I mean, these people, Epicureans were... They were uh, kind of the new age of today. They would be all about happiness. Follow your heart. Does it feel good? Then it's right. Okay, that's the Epicureans. The Stoics, they liked thought more than feeling. So when you think of, you ever heard somebody say, that's so Stoic, or you're so Stoic. It's somebody that's stern, they never smile, they're not allowed to have emotion. I'm much more intellectual than you. I'm thinking, not feeling. And Paul speaks into this with just a simple message of truth about the one true God. They cared deeply about new things and new ideas. And so when he started talking like this, like, hey, this is interesting. We like new stuff because we're not really committed to anything specifically. We just want to know more. And so... Uh, It says, others, uh, verse 19, Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what the new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who live there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So I'm going to just share with you a little bit of of distress. Uh, What I want you to get out of this message is how do we respond when we see a culture who has forgotten, who is ignoring, who is distracted, who is completely out of the loop with the one true God. Do we live in a culture like that? I would venture to say we do. They have forgotten, they have missed the one true God. Now, we live in the Bible Belt where there are a lot of people who might say with their mouths, but it is not expressed, and it's not taken root in their hearts, and it's not borne out in the fruit that they bear and the life that they live, and it makes it really confusing but we live in a culture that's forgotten the one true God. So how do we respond? One of the things I'm trying to imagine, I got on Google Maps and I got on the road and started doing the walking thing. I'm walking through Pikeville, right, because I've never been to Pikeville. I'm just kidding. I've been, obviously, I've been to Pikeville. And I started thinking about one of the things that we see, one of the things that would tempt me, if I was trying to take myself completely out of context, all right, and walked through our town or our life. What are the things that would be like? Whoa, that's kind of uh, strange. Um, are y'all getting nervous? Whew. Everybody taking deep sighs, deep breaths. One of the one of the things. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. I just want to share uh, share some. Um, and this is not to be. Uh, Just overly critical of us, because I'm right in this with you, okay? I just want to tell you what tempts us and what idols popped out uh, to me. And the first one was the material. Stuff. Like, I mean, shopping plazas. I mean, if you just take yourself out of context and imagine walking into a town like Walmart. And like the, the obsession with it and the, 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 the debt that surrounds it and the way that we are so tempted to just fill our lives with stuff, to only be happy if we're going to the next outlet mall, to only be like, I mean, this is the temptation that comes to us, that distracts us. Am, am I wrong? I mean, you don't have to admit it. And I'm not saying I've never done it. I'm just saying we better take a moment and just identify and see what y'all are stern. Y'all a bunch of stoics, aren't you? (laughs) But we like a comfort Christianity where God is what we check in on on Sunday morning. I mean, is that is that real or not real? And we feel like we've done our thing, and then we go do life. And God is saying, "I'm the one true God." I want all your heart. I want all you got to give. I, it's okay to have fun and, and, and buy things. I'm not saying you should never buy something. I'm just saying be careful of, of it consuming you, of it just out your heart and your imagination, and you can't dream for God anymore. We live right in a town where, uh, where there's a university. And so uh, maybe intellect, education, Maybe the good news we like to share more than the good news of Jesus, like good news is you can go to college. Good news is you can get a degree, Good news is you can get a job, good news, you can provide for yourself. Good news, you can take care of yourself. The good news is you're going to be fine if you just do this and this, there is hope in education. I don't know, maybe not. But when I think of what we share of the good news for someone and how it impacts eternity. There are a lot of other things we're really more quick to share that we feel like is good news. Uh, maybe it's the temporary, like trying to live forever. Have you all seen this kind of fad? I guess it's always been around, like, like uh, uh, fitness and diets and the next meal and the next plan and the next thing and the next... Uh, the, i got to move on off this topic. Nobody is like, you all just standing and looking, I mean, sitting and looking, and nobody's smiling. Everybody's like, we came the wrong Sunday to this church. It's the glasses. Uh, that, that we want to try to live forever. Or maybe that we want to try to look like we've lived forever, like we did 20 years ago. Do you, do you feel that pressure? I mean, I don't feel that much pressure as a man, but I, I know... Beth carries that pressure as a woman, like this pressure to, to be getting the next thing the Botox, the, the hair, the like, right, all the things, like, that we think will fulfill us and we'll feel better and then we'll be happy. And we fill our lives with all those things, and, and, and at the end of it, we feel empty. Uh, maybe it's. Um, I'm going to do one more. I'm moving off from this. Last time we're doing this. No, I might do two more. Well, I'm going to lump that living forever. I'm going to lump perfection into that. Always striving for perfection. Always comparing. Always working to be the same. Or as soon as you think you did something good, you see somebody did something better and you feel like a failure. Like this idol of comparison. Oh, man, it will distract you so fast from what God really asked for you. He's like, I made them, I made you. Be you, okay? And be confident in how I made you and how I loved you. And you're my masterpiece. To say anything else about yourself is to speak against me, to speak against God, not me, Jared, against God. Uh, maybe it's the idol of apathy, and you might say, well, "What's apathy?" You went to A- Athens and you using all these words. It means uh, just this indifference. Do you meet people who just have an indifference about life, like just man, Texas Roadhouse Friday night, and you know, paycheck in two weeks, and I'm just uh, yeah, it's bad around here. It's the way it's always going to be, or you know, and things are never going to change, or. You know, I've always been this way, so it's not just like this. Even uh, among Christians, this level of apathy, like just we're waiting for the Lord to come back. It's all done. It's over. It's just the worst. Do you, do you, do you come across that sense of apathy when, when God he, he didn't say, Go unto the ends of the earth until you get tired and you feel like I'm going to come back soon and just quit? No, He said, Go. Share the gospel. Share them. You think the Holy Spirit is any less powerful now than he was 2,000 years ago? No, he is still calling people to him. He is still drawing people. If, but we as a church cannot be apathetic about it. We cannot be sitting back and not caring and wondering and waiting for somebody else uh, to do it. Let me see if there's one more. Dependence. Like we just, we, we want to rely on everything but God. And I'm not talking about you individually, maybe us as a region. We've depended upon uh, government, all right, for 60 years, for Washington, D.C., for politicians, like, to solve all our problems. Like, we thought if that person gets in, it's all better. We think that every four years. And half of you are wrong every time. But the next time, we believe this person is the one that's going to fix it. Good people, but they're not gods. They can't fix it. They can't fix, because the root of these problems are not just policies and systemic, they are heart problems. And there's only one person that can change that. There's only one person that can change uh, individual hearts and therefore hearts of communities and transform communities, and it is God. I'm saying if you saw, saw all that and we see it, how emotionally broken are you about it? Or are we apathetic? Do we get like Paul that walks into a town and is like, oh, my God, these, these people, they, they, I, I, I'm grieved. I'm so sad. When you see people living in blatant sin, and we have this happening right now, right, people celebrating sinful lifestyles, and, and, and what do we do about it? Do we just get angry and mad and hope they get what they deserve? Do we get fueled like Paul that says, I got good news for that person? I'm going to share good news with these people. Like, I got good news to share. Do, or, or do we get being out of shape and just, like, being more mad about it or frustrated or, like, judgmental than we do compassionate? You see, Paul's emotional distress, his upheaval, led him to positive action. And I just want to read you a sermon. There's not much uh, I can add to it Um Let me, oh, I got three things here I wrote down that were potential good news. Tell me if these are better than the good news Paul was sharing. You can go to college. I kind of said that one already. Is that better news than Jesus? You're getting a stimulus. (laughs) you all thinking, like, I don't know. Are they really going to do another one? He's like, I don't know, it's good news. That's the news, man. It goes wild. Um, You were born in America. Obviously, it's a blessing to be born in this place, but that news is not better. That does not give you more hope for eternity. There's no better news than the good news of Jesus. Let me give you four questions just to ask about something in your life, about an idol. And I got these from uh, an article uh, online. I can't remember the lady that wrote it. I'm not stealing it. These are four questions. I thought they were good. I'm sharing it. Are you willing to compromise your beliefs for it? One, does, are you like, I believe in the Bible? And you're like, except for when I'm going to do this. <laughs> All right? Like, yep, I'm a Christian. And I think that everything God says is good and right, uh, except when it comes to my my girlfriend or boyfriend, except when it comes to, uh, you know, Friday nights, except when it comes to, uh, you know, whatever it is, your thought process, whatever it is, what are you compromising your beliefs for? One, or two, will you get angry if you can't do it, don't get it? The outlet mall, I don't know. Do you value it over people? And really, this is the, the fourth one. This is what Ezekiel was saying. Is that when we've done this in our heart, it, it leads to sin. All right, so the fourth one is, does it push you closer to God or pull you farther away? That's a pretty, pretty good one. Let's look at Paul's address. We've talked about his distress and my distress. The rest of these are going to be quick, and we're going to get us out of here and into the baptism. That's fun. Acts 17 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, You've got to realize who he was talking in front of. You ever, you ever had to give any type of presentation or job interview, and you just you were a nervous wreck because of the people you're going to be talking to? Like, these were the smartest people in Athens, which was the smartest town in the world at the time. This was like the Ivy League. This was the brightest. and And here's Paul. You know, God prepared Paul for this. I love this, that it's not just um, the Holy Spirit Immediately given Paul the words to say, you know, Paul was trained by the greatest teacher, Gamaliel. He was prepared to be a lawyer, a debater, and sit on the Sanhedrin. Like, God had worked in his life and stages. And here God had prepared this man to stand in this place and proclaim a message that would change the world. And so he's at this meeting at Areopagus, also known as Mars Hill. And said, people of Athens... Maybe, maybe let's, let's, let's put ourselves, let's be the people of Athens for a moment and listen to what Paul has to say. As people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship and even found an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples. Oh my God, you're not thankful for that. He does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that's Adam, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their hands. This is him talking to people who had all kinds of gods. And he's like, let me tell you about one who made everything, who who set everything. Complete sovereign over time and history and nations and leaders who's in complete control. God did this so that they would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him. Though, though He is not far from any one of us. Oh my gosh, I love that little just comment, though He's not far from any one of us. For in Him we live and move. And have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Think about the homework Paul had done here as he prepared in this message. He had studied them, he knew these people, he'd read their own writings. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. Or bass boats or coach purses. Are those still a thing? An image made by human design and skill. This is the scary verse. In the past God overlooked such ignorance to think we can make our own way. To think that we've done it all on our own, to think that we've earned our own and got, and that we deserve better. (laughs) He overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. What does repent mean? Like, God, I'm sorry. Like, this is not just sorry, it's like actually I'm turning from that. No longer do I want to be consumed with that idol in my life, with that thing in my life. I'm turning to you. He says, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone. By raising him from the dead. How do we know The God we serve is the one true God he gave us proof he did what nobody else has ever done not what no other God not Ptolemy Hermes whoever I don't even know all these Greek gods they never came and walked and died and was resurrected in this he gave us proof for the one true God there we see Paul's address he ends it this simple message what's the good news we have to share We're hopeless, we've sinned, we've broken our relationship with God, but He loved us so much He created us. We are His offspring, in Him we live and move and have everything. He's given us His one and only Son so that whosoever would believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life through the resurrection. Of Jesus Christ we see God's progress because this is going to happen you're going to share as you're responding to a world that's forgotten the one true God this is just the simple way to approach it is to share the truth and share the truth in love because it is good news what you have to share but this is what's going to happen. This is what God's progress was in this. Paul spoke the truth, but here's what happens. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them, what? Sneered? You mean Paul, the greatest missionary ever? You mean when he said it, there wasn't thousands that got saved and, and, and Athens became the new Jerusalem? and uh, No, actually, many of them Sneered. The three groups that heard this message, some of them sneered and was like, whatever, I'm going back to my bass boat. <laughs> All right, just for example. Two said, hmm, I think I'd like to hear a little more about this. We want to hear you again on the subject. It says at that, that Paul left the county. Cal- I mean, you've got to imagine this moment in history. Wouldn't you have loved to have seen Paul in front of all these people sharing that truth and probably feeling a little discouraged when they sneered at him, they laughed at him, and there's a few like maybe, But and he says he just left the council, mic dropped, and he's out. But then it says some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. This is how God changes the world by his church Sharing the good news, one heart at a time. As we talk about your heart this morning, Jonah, the story of Jonah in chapter two. You know, Jonah he got swallowed by the whale, great fish. Because uh, he was running from Nineveh, he didn't want to go preach where God called him to preach, and he was trying to do his own thing. And then uh, he's repenting in chapter two, and because he's in the well, I mean, we'd all repent if God put us into a fish. Like, absolutely, I'll do whatever you want me to do, God. But in Jonah chapter 2, verse 8, it's, he said, Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Ezekiel's message went on to say, This is what the sovereign Lord says. When any of the Israelites set up idols in their hearts and put a wicked stumbling block before their faces and then go to a prophet, I, the Lord, will answer them myself in keeping with their great idolatry. I will do this to recapture the hearts of the people of Israel who have all deserted me for their idols. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Repent. Turn from your idols and renounce all your detestable practices. God, we come to you in closing to just be so thankful that you're hungry for one thing in our life, and it's our hearts. God, to know that in, this, in your church, you fuel revivals Through the heart. God, that if we believe God is going to do what we believe, what you are going to do, and we feel in our hearts and we're seeing this movement that you are creating where you are just reaching out to a broken people who have forgotten you, God, that we have to be all in with our hearts, not just our hands and feet. God, you are the God who turns mourning into dancing. You are the God who, who makes beauty from ashes. God, we are going to put our trust in you. We're giving you our heart. God, I pray that as the Holy Spirit moves in this place this morning, God, that you would just, you, you would convict, you would show us where have we gotten consumed and distracted in our own lives. God, we, 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 we repent as a community. For the times we put so many things before you. God, we know if we bow before you, and we repent and we turn to you, you will heal us. You will heal our land. You will change our community. God, we're going to put our trust in you for that. We're not going to look everywhere else. We're not going to depend on anything else. God, let us depend on you and on you alone. Let us share the truth that changes everything that Jesus Christ was crucified and resurrected and he is and you are the one true God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.